I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. And joining me today is Jennifer Hernandez, author of No One Can Stop Me But Me. At just eight years old, Jennifer Hernandez encountered horrors typically found in fiction, discovering her home unlocked and vandalized with the terrifying word, die, painted in red blood on her bedroom wall. This marked the beginning of her tumultuous journey through parental abandonment, unstable living conditions, early substance abuse, teen pregnancy, and a search for belonging within the, within the inner city gangs of Chicago. If she was capable of, of escaping the depths of trauma and self-loathing to a life of recovery, abundance, and joy, she believes anyone who is brave enough to help themselves can do the same. In her inspiring new memoir, she chronicles the complete transformation of her life and how she found incredible success and happiness against all odds. Today, she's on the top 1% of loan officers in the country with over 18 years invested in the mortgage industry, top woman originator, and was number one for FHA lending in Illinois. Truly successful businesswoman. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Nice to have you on. Oh, thank you so much. I'm such such an honor to be here, Jennifer. Uh, what do you think? Why? Uh, what do you expect to do with your story, your memoir? Uh, by sharing that story, what is that going to do, or how is it going to help all of us? Uh, I believe that my mentor shared his story, and it was the, it was what inspired me to know that I can do anything I really wanted in life. To watch him become a best-selling author, I absolutely his story was very similar to mine, and I it made me know that I can truly create anything I wanted in life. And so, my hope is that I am able to reach down and impact people who are like me or can relate to my story in some way and give them some type of hope to know that they are in control of their own destiny. Because as I read in the beginning, I mean, your story is really, I would say, overwhelming. It seems to me, I mean, you suffer so many losses, uh, so much abuse, so much grief. Let's talk about some of those, you know, what did happen to you and obviously and the impact that it had, had on you over the years. Yeah, so um, the first, I mean, the first of the most traumatic things was obviously uh, my mom moving out of state, the abandonment that that left me with. And so for a lot of my years, I thought that that was the main reason for a lot of my self-destruction, only to realize just in the last upcoming years uh, that it was that along with the fact that my dad actually, you know, was verbally and emotionally abusive. So I grew up feeling like not good enough. And so that was really, in addition to the abandonment, it was what sent me spiraling out of control and self-sabotaging in all the ways I possibly could. Drugs, sex, um, alcohol, you know, anything I could to destroy myself, uh, I was definitely, was definitely doing. But what happened before that, before your mother left? Um, well, the younger years, I mean, I didn't feel like I had a whole lot of trauma, but like obviously coming home and my, my, that day when I walked in my house and my house was vandalized, I ended up at, at eight years old being blamed for that. And, um, I didn't realize like how traumatic that was on me, but obviously at eight years old, when like your mother doesn't believe you at eight, like I had never displayed like 
you know, any type of behavior that I would, you know, destroy my home because there was a lot of things destroyed in my home that day. It wasn't just the walls being written on. I mean, there was glasses broke, crystal broken, um, water beds popped, you know, lots of things that had happened. And when she blamed me and didn't believe, you know, what I was saying, it just, it, it, it obviously I didn't feel safe, right? And so that kind of started at eight. And then uh, also, you know, she, her relationship, I didn't really remember a lot of her and my father's relationship together, but I did uh, remember her second marriage, which was, you know, it was pretty abusive emotionally and verbally. And even though we didn't know too much was going on, you still feel the tension inside the house when, when you're in that environment. And it was def- definitely something we knew was there, so... That was my that was my early years. Um, well, I want to talk about that because I think kids. I think you mentioned that what you just said is really important because kids, when they grow up in that kind of uh, environment where there is a lot of uh, fighting and and uh, you know disruption in their lives, they can't actually verbalize it. But you, as you said, you feel the tension. You can't really say mm-hmm. what's happening between two adults or or even or more. But but you feel it. And I, I think that's important to, to kind of reiterate that because then that obviously, as you're saying, it impacts the rest of your life and you have to kind of dig through it to find out, well, what really did happen? You know, how, how does that relate to the way I'm behaving now? Um, so when, okay, so not a good situation at home. <laughs> uh, <No>. And <laughs> to put it mildly, right? I mean, uh, and you're eight years old. didn't feel safe. Yeah, you Correct. didn't feel safe. Could you talk to anybody? Could you talk to a teacher? Could you talk to friends, girlfriends? You know, that's the thing about it. it I say this a lot when I'm when I'm speaking now too. You know, that's the thing about like emotional abuse. It's the silent killer because we don't know it's happening. You know, physical abuse. We know we're being, we're, we know we're being you know, physically harmed, right? Verbal abuse. We know that that's somewhat happening because we hear it. But emotional abuse, it's the silent killer because we don't know the damage that it's causing and we're not even aware that it's there. Just like I said, you know, in regards to like my whole life, because because things started to shift for me when my mom left, I just correlated it all to her, right? All to it being, well, it must have been because I had abandonment issues, right? Not that like my dad was a totally different parent and cared for me in a different way than my mother did. And really, I couldn't see anything that he had done wrong because he was the only parent I had for some period of time, you know, and he did the best he could. And I knew that, but it wasn't enough for me. And, you know, and that's what we have to recognize too, even as parents, like I didn't do enough for my children. There was places that I lacked, you know, because being a single mom, I had to do everything. And so we don't know the damage that we're causing, truthfully. And it wasn't until like two years ago, while I'm writing the book, while I'm completing the book, that I finally recognized that the men I were calling into my life would all make me feel the same way my father felt, which was not good enough. And talk to of me about course your I would fa- do that, right? Yeah, exactly. Huh? But talk to me about your father. Okay, now how do you see I mean, you see him, what you're saying is the filter that you're seeing your father through now as you're writing the book very different than when you were a kid or a teenager. So, you know, you're living with your father. How did you see him? What how, what were you feeling? And how did, obviously, how did that change? The filter changed 
is a grown-up I mean, now. I've seen him as an extremely strong man. Um, initially, when I first moved in, I've seen him as a very strong man and my protector, I thought. And then um, as time went on, like, you know, um, my my grandmother had favorites, and I think that even he grew up with those, you know, things. You know, he, you know, it was like there was, there was favorites, and we, you know, the family really treated us like we weren't good enough and kind of talked down to us quite a bit. And I think that was pretty standard in their family. And so he allowed people to do that to me, and it just, it soon shifted and I was like, wow, like, why would you ever allow, you know, people to talk down to your children, especially when, you know, clearly I had trauma, right? My mom left. I was 11 years old. Like, do do you guys give people passes on anything, you know? So they were very critical and, uh, you know, it definitely shifted. But as I I said, I, I couldn't, I still couldn't see until two years ago, you know, we're talking my whole entire life. I raised four kids and still didn't know that I was, you know, calling people into my life that would continue to make me feel the way he made me feel, which was that I wasn't good enough. And the truth is, is that we're always looking for something that we're not really even giving ourselves, right? So I'm looking for like this incredible love and want someone to give it to me. But the truth is, is that I never gave it to me. So how can I find somebody else to give me something that I'm not even willing to give myself? There has to be that. Yeah, it can't happen. It has to be that. You have to, as you say, you have self-love. There has to be there first, exactly. And then it's a two-way street. Um, But in the process, you're still, you're, and I want to talk about this because you raised four children. You're raising four children, I'm assuming. (laughs) And that in itself, no matter what the context is, is is an achievement, having had three (laughs) myself. Uh, So... But you love them. And, oh, I'm making the assumption you love your children unconditionally, but that's a different kind of love than it is in, in terms of an adult relationship, right? Um, we yeah, talk about, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's, definitely, it's definitely a different love. And, you know, it's easy, it's easy for us to give love to another. <laughs> you know, what's difficult is giving love to yourself, and putting yourself first, uh, especially for a parent and especially like, because when a lot of people have trauma, we also become people pleasers, right? So it's about everybody else before ourselves. We're so sacrificing of ourselves that we, we don't even know it, you know? And it's, that's why after, you know, two years ago is when I finally figured it out. And last year is the year that I really spent learning how to love myself and honor myself, because how can I ever look for somebody else to do that when I'm really not willing to do it? And I started to realize and just pull back, you know, the layers and layers, like an onion of like the trauma and where it started and what I really felt like and just going deep. And, you know, the, the truth is, is that I, you know, I don't hold anybody to anything they do because we all know not what we do truthfully. And I became a mom at 20. And so I rolled a lot of the same things that my dad had put me through or the behaviors, you know, the things they showed up for me as a parent too, because that's how I was raised. So I didn't know. And until we do our work, we really don't know. And um, just to touch on something a little bit different, but, but it's very important. You know, my parents actually had me locked up in adolescent facilities several times. And I even went to, to school for months 
at a hospital, and I was counseled so much, and they never got to the core of anything, you know, and I'm not to say that they never do, but the truth is, is that just because you have like a degree doesn't mean that you've done your work because let's be honest, people who want to give back and go and help the world, they also have work to do because a lot of times the reason why we want to do that is because we have trauma. So we want to make that impact. So it's so important that, you know, everybody really do their work and to try to dive deep into into the trauma. Yeah, whether you've had a trauma or whether you're going to see yourself in a helping profession, a social worker, uh, yeah, yeah, social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists. I want to backtrack a little because your kids, your children, did any of them, any one of them or all of them put that mirror up to your face and, 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 and kind of, I don't want to use the word force, (laughs) but help you to take a look at that inner self and how you were behaving and in relationship to them. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So that's what they say, right? Is that every our our top relationships in our life are our mirror and it's a hundred percent true. And so much so that the breakthrough me evolving was so important in my life that my business relationship, my personal relationship, and my relationship uh with my children were all giving me the same thing at the same exact time. They were all treating me like I wasn't good enough. And I was, of course, you know, as I'm doing the work, I'm becoming 100% responsible for everything I call into my life. And I'm like, why? Why am I getting this treatment from, from all of these main relationships? It's got to be somewhere in me, right, that I'm calling this in. And, you know, sure enough, it finally blew and I finally figured it out. And that's because that's my trauma. That is my trauma, and they were giving it to me so that I could push through it and figure it out and evolve, and I did, gratefully. And you evolved, but how did you, because you didn't kind of just evolve, you know, you stayed in the (laughs) game, but this is the journey, uh, as it says on the cover of your book, a journey from childhood trauma to a life of abundance. How do you motivate yourself to get where you were? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, not necessarily with family, but in, in business and success. So, you know, the successes that I read at the end of that intro, how do you do that? How do you have the energy to do that? Or what kind of energy do you need to be able to do that? Uh, you need, you need, uh, you need a lot of energy and you need, um, a lot of faith, a lot of faith and a lot of trust in God, because literally, um, I would say in, even in 2017, I was three months behind on my mortgage, living payday loan to payday loan, thousands of dollars negative in the bank monthly. And the only thing that kept me going, no one would have known that because I made a shift in my head to not allow my circumstances to define me. And so I, I just, I, it was it was like nothing. I was living like that, and it, it was like I was a regular person, and I was all good, and you would never know. And that was the shift in my life that allowed the abundance to start flowing in because I was able to trust and believe that everything would be okay at a time that it was not. And so this was this is my biggest like m- moment to people is to like I don't care what your circumstances now if you can see out. If you can see the life you want versus the one that you're living, you can get there so much quicker and things can come to you um, 
so much faster if you can just see where you want to be and not where you're at. Uh, So it sounds like you found your greatest strength in your adversity, that that's really what helped you get through all of that. Um, And I hope you were able to pay your bills. That was 2017, but then we had 2020. We had, this is another, this had nothing to do with what you did or didn't do. So we had uh, COVID, the pandemic. What happened then? Well, the mortgage business like blew up during COVID. Yeah. Uh, so I ended up we ended up doing record numbers, and I ended up making over seven figures during that pandemic. So it was it was beautiful. People stopped spending money on stuff and started spending money on their investments, which was the smartest thing anyone could invest in, which was real estate. So it it worked out very very well. And who would have thought that? That's why I'm, I'm here sure. today. Cause yeah. <laughs> This is a great COVID story, I have to say. This is like, you know, there are certain people, and, and you're not the only one that I've talked to on my show, who thrived during COVID. Uh, as you said, real estate, your business, but and also writers who had the opportunity to be quarantined for a year and sit down and write and not be, and not be expected to do anything else. They, too, I always hear them say, you know, it was a good year for me. Um, I had no distractions. So um, yeah. that's, a, that's a good ending. It's not an ending, but it's a good story, I guess. Yeah. All right. So you know, I think now, it was a good year. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I think good, it was just a beautiful year just to get back to, like, family, too, and spending time together, you know? It, it forced us to do that, and, and I think it was beautiful. Yeah. We weren't running around trying to do everything else and then fitting the family in. <laughs> it was, Yeah. Right. That's true. Um, okay, so now, all right, so this is like, what's the message for all of us? I mean, we obviously for the past, we've been talking about what the message is, but um, what about the future? Let's say where you are right now. What, Where are you going? What's your direction? I mean, it sounds to me like, oh, boy, you've been through all of this. You, you really you came out a success. You're writing a book, a memoir. Um what next? Uh, so I, I want to be top in the country for FHA lending. My life experiences is really what sets me aside and allows me to be able to craft solutions for clients who are, you know, low to moderate income areas, credibly challenged. Uh, a lot of my clients, I get approved when they, after they've already been denied elsewhere. So I want to be top in the country. Uh, I also have a documentary coming out soon and the goal is really to turn the book into a motion picture and impact the world in doing so. And I think the message, the greatest message is no one can stop me, but me, the name of the book is the message because that is the truth. No one stops us, but us. So documentary, how did you get involved with the documentary? I mean, you know, you have to be connected and I mean, share some of your secrets. You don't have to, but, uh, no, I just seen, I wanted to do it. I hired a crew I filmed it, had them follow me out on set. I had everybody come and interview them. Actually, if you just, if you have a desire for something, it can happen. You don't have to know how, you don't have to know the right people. You don't have to, you don't have to have an abundance of money. You just have to have the desire. And I had the desire and it just came together. And then it's actually been lingering because I've had it for almost a year now, the footage. And I just had someone start pick it up to start working on it um, in December. And so I'm so grateful because it was the one person I really wanted to work on it and and it just worked out. So 
it should be coming soon, very soon. So, so hence the title of the book, No One Can Stop Me But Me. Uh, and, I mean, you're obviously, you are the example of that. What about, uh, Bam, who supported you? I mean, there have to be some supports. No one can stop you but you, but you also, I think most of us, all of us, do need some support. Where does that come from in your life? Um, you know what? I think that was the greatest thing that I was lacking. Uh, and, uh, to be honest, it's, it's quite beautiful. I mean, and now that I'm through it, you know, it definitely wasn't beautiful going through it. I I didn't have a whole lot of support. I actually, it was me against the world, uh, with my back against the wall, like swinging for most of my life. Um, and even so much so that I had to cut off my whole family, like going through my healing process because they were not, uh, a support to, you know, they weren't supportive. I had to lose all of my friends. So imagine a single mom raising four kids, 100% commission job, has no friends anymore, has no family because she had to cut them off to save her from herself, you know, which is what definitely led me back to God. And he's my source. And that's, that's what it is. Um, because, I didn't have that. I had to hire mentors. I had to get in the back of rooms with people, motivate. I found uh, a multi-level marketing company, and uh, it was by Salas back in the day, and they used to be so motivational, and I never heard any of that type of information. So I would go to all of their events because I knew I needed it, and they were what motivated me. And actually, my mentor is Ryan Blair, and he it was his company, and so I would make sure to be in the room that you sometimes you just have to get yourself in the room and um yeah you know i have a lot more support now but i didn't have have that um you you know it's interesting because you said you had to cut off family friends which in my experience it seems that that's the most difficult thing for people to do they can't seem to let go even though the relationships are not advantageous they're not helping but they kind of just kind of they kind of maybe the pe- the pe- the family and the friends kind of glom onto them or you it's they're, it's they're sticky but when you get a mentor you get people who don't have that emotional connection they're only in there for whatever your objective is it's easier to to accept them and there isn't that kind of stickiness in the relationship um and yeah yeah and there's not you know trauma from the relationship so i think uh you know, the beautiful thing is, too, and that's what I tell people, is that, like, nobody changed, you know, really. Like, at that time, like, I cut everybody off, but I came back to them, like, you know, shortly after. But I was healed. So when you heal, like, nobody has to change. Um, you just find a way to accept them for who they are. And because you're healed, they don't affect you in the same way. So, uh, and then, to be honest, you know, they say, heal the mother, heal the father, heal the family. And that's the truth it spread down. So from me, it did spread down and radiate throughout the whole entire family. And it's, and it's beautiful. What do you do when there are those triggers? Because that does happen. You know, as you said, you've healed, you've come, you know, you, nobody can stop you, but you, you have a relationship with God, you have all of these things that have helped move you forward. But then, you know, you do get back with the same people and then there may be a trigger. What do you do? How do you handle that? That kind of gets you. <laughs> yeah. That's funny because it was just the holidays, you know. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. 
So I thought, like, I'm good, right? <laughs> I think that I'm good. And so our triggers are a trauma, okay? So people pay attention because it took me a long time to figure this out, but our triggers are the trauma. So I thought I was good, and I, I have to say that I, my my brother just triggered me, you know? And I'm like, wow, like, I... Like, I'm so disappointed because I can't even believe that 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 can still happen to me, you know, and the truth is, is that we're we're human. And I guess I still have some more work to do because, yeah, he definitely triggered me. And it's it's because he tends to talk to me and treat me the way that my father did. And that is like the, the core of the wound. Right. Yeah. And so. When, yeah, when it happened, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, you think you're going to verbally abuse me in my home? Like, <laughs> you understand, like, this is what I ran from, right? This is what the book's about, and this is what I ran from, and this is what you're doing. Yep. So it's very, um, it's very interesting, and I still have some work to do on that because I didn't think I could be triggered. And he showed me that I'm very wrong. <laughs> you can't be can triggered, but you are aware. I mean, and I think, isn't yeah. that the key? I mean, you have to, that's going to happen. Maybe it's the expectation. I mean, you can't always be perfect all the time in terms of how you view yourself, but that's going to happen. You're aware of it. And then you react to it in a, what it sounds to me in a very positive way. You know, you, you, you knew what was happening. It's not going to happen again. Yeah. And, but I, I didn't actually react and uh, I initially I acted in a positive way and then is it kept going? Like it just, you know, it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't so positive. So I still have some work to do, um, on, on that. And, and, um, for me, I'm setting up a healthy boundary, you know, that, you know, something has to change because I, I, I can never, I, I don't want to be in that type of environment, nor do I want to be treated or feel the way that that made me feel ever again in my life. It's not acceptable. So at this it, point, something would have to change in order for me to continue that relationship. Yeah. Oh, boundaries, as you said, you'll set up new boundaries, different boundaries. That won't happen Correct. again. Yeah. We only have a couple of minutes left. Um, it's been great hearing your story. I mean, it's a great, I don't want to say ending, but it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful evolution, a great story. It is a good story. And uh, the title of the book is No One Can Stop Me But Me. And I've been talking to the author, Jennifer Hernandez, her journey from childhood trauma to a life of abundance. So, Jennifer, a website and or websites to go to for more information about you and about the book. Yes, so you can follow me on Instagram at I am Jen Hernandez. It's I am J-E-N-N Hernandez. Also, the book is for sale on Amazon, Simon & Schuster. You can find it just about anywhere. No one can stop me but me. If you are looking to be approved and have been denied by another lender or a real estate agent looking to save your deals, too many deals are falling out, your clients can apply uh, apply at approvedbygen.com. And I thank you so much for all of the support and look forward to, you know, being able to touch you in some type of way. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. Jennifer Hernandez. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 